Good morning. Ooh, very loud. How are we all doing this morning? Good, good. I'm always thankful uh, to join you guys here at Wishart Reformed Church. For those of you who don't know me, um, our family used to come here to, to Wishart Reformed Church back, uh, back in the day between 2008 and 2012, and so it's always special to be back here and to see familiar faces and also to see some new faces, so thanks for having me. Uh, this morning, we are going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're doing the whole chapter, so please open your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what you have built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are the temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written, he catches the wise in their snares and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. 
This is the word of the Lord this morning. And I'd like to start with a question. Have you ever had a foolish argument with someone? Maybe a sibling or a co-worker? I definitely have. Uh, I've got two siblings, a younger brother and a sister, Hanukkah and Francha, as some of you know them. And uh, when we were younger, we would often go on family vacations, and it would either be to my grandparents' place on the farm, five hours drive away, or it would be to the beach, which would be an eight-hour drive. And with young kids traveling long distances, the biggest problem to overcome was the boredom of the road and always wondering, are we there yet? Are we going to get there? And so, to combat the boredom, we'd play a game. And the game was very simple. It was, whose is better? The three of us would be sitting in the back, and we'd pick a topic like superpowers, and then we'd choose which superpower we think is best, and then we'd have this discussion to see whose was best. Some others were our favorite rugby players, and I mean real rugby, rugby union, Uh, others were our dream houses and so I think I won because I had a slide going from the fourth story all the way down into the pool Uh, and a more creative one as we were driving to the beach was how would you escape if a tsunami was to come right now and so we had all these crazy ideas of you know finding a fast car and learning how to drive as a seven-year-old and getting out of there but On one of these occasions where we had this who's is better game going, uh, the discussion slowly turned into an argument, and the argument slowly turned into tears. And before we know it, it was mum or dad leaning over, looking at us in the back, saying, don't make me come back there. Yes, yes. And here... We have a similar thing happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, Paul is not taking the Corinthians on a beach trip, but he is saying to them, don't make me come back there. You are being foolish and childish in this little game that you are playing. And so, I'd like you to open your your Bibles. I don't have slides, so you're going to have to follow with me as I point out the different verses. But Paul, as I said, he's saying, don't make me come back there. And the first thing he does in the first four verses is Paul confronts the Corinthians for their foolishness, and he doesn't pull his punches. If you look at verse 1, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You are worldly. You are infants in Christ. Verse 2, You still need baby food. Verse 3, you are still worldly and acting like mere humans. I dare you guys, when you go out to morning tea, to find someone and say, hmm, you're still an infant Christian, a baby believer. You can't really keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, You act like all the other Australians around when they're you know, love for money and sport and stuff, and you're just as worldly as the next bloke that walks around. I don't think they'll respond very well. In fact, uh, I've got an ice pack in the car for a bit of extra application for you today. But what is the problem here? Why is Paul being so harsh? Why is he confronting them so directly? 
Again, if you look at verses 1 leading to verse 2, he says, you were infants. I gave you milk. These are past tense. And then he says, you are still infants. I can't give you solid food. This is present tense. And the question that we need to ask is, how much time has elapsed between you were and you still are? Two months? Five months? Ten months? Commentators say between two to three years have elapsed. And that's not even to mention that before those two to three years, Paul had already spent 18 months with them establishing the church. And so Paul has to address this. It's been three to four years that they have not grown. Their growth has been stunned. And this is a warning for us, brothers and sisters. Just because you're sitting in church, just because you call yourself a Christian, doesn't mean that you will be growing spiritually. And Paul is writing these words so that the Corinthians would grow. What is Paul's argument? He says that their behavior proves that they are worldly. If you look at verses 3 and 4, he uses words like jealousy, quarreling, and that they've got their favorite preachers like a fan club. And these behaviors, these actions, mean that they are very worldly. And so as a Redlands Christian Reform representative here, I want to say thank you for taking Jim. Now we only have one pastor and we can't have a popularity contest. So thank you for removing the temptation. We, we appreciate that. Now, thankfully, our churches aren't actually in this position where we're having popularity contests, but the principle of unity still applies. We might not be dividing the church due to the present pastor's popularity pageant, but we might be dividing the church due to our own pridefulness or due to our unforgiveness of a brother or sister or due to our prejudice, thinking that our way is the right way and no one else in church can see clearly or because of our differing opinions of things that are trivial they don't really matter, yet we allow them to divide out the members in our church. Are there any actions or behaviors in your life that are bringing division in this church? Or, on the flip side, on the positive note, are your actions and behaviors unifying the church? This is what God has called us to do. I'd like us to imagine the following scene in the Corinthian church. We know that they had their little factions and divisions, and so we might have an elder standing on one side going, I follow Paul. He was the worst, and yet God saved him, which shows he is a special apostle. Rudely, he's interrupted by another. You idiot. It can't be Paul. He can't even speak properly. He's got no rhetoric, and his preaching is... Eh. Sapar, Apollos, now there's a preacher, I follow him. 
and yet another in the back says, you're both wrong. Don't you know the answer? It's Jesus. And so we have all these children sitting in the back seat, arguing with one another. And it's as if Paul is leaning over from the front seat saying, who are these super apostles and preachers that you're fighting about? And so we've moved from our first section where the Corinthians are confronted by Paul to the second section of the passage where Paul has to correct their theology. And we see this in verses 5 to 17. Paul uses four images to help correct their theology. And the first image you'll find in verse 5 to 9. If you have a look, Paul says that these super apostles, they're all workers in a field. And who are they? Verse 5. They are servants completing a task. They're not Hall of Famers. Verse 6, they plant and water seeds like common farmers. They are nothing, but God is everything. Verse 8, they have one common purpose. They are on the same team, working towards the same goal. Verse 9, they are co-workers. For what are they working together? For the benefit of the Corinthian church. And so in summary, Paul is saying, we are nothing special. We are nothing glamorous. And we are certainly nothing worth fighting about. The focus in these verses is actually not on Paul, not on Apollos, not on Peter. The focus in those verses, when you go read them, is on God. And the Corinthians has lost sight of this. The second image we find in verses 10 and 11, it's an image of a builder on a work site. And it starts with nearly a bit of a contradiction. If you look at verse 10, Paul says that he is a wise master builder. And yet, according to verse 3, when he's talking about the field, he says, I am nothing. How can Paul be both a wise master builder, someone that I think we'd say, yeah, okay, we can get behind this guy, and yet at the same time, he is nothing. The key word, if you look at verse 10 there, is it is by God's grace that he is a master builder. You see, God's grace is always at play in our lives. We can do nothing good except if we are enabled by God's grace to do so. On our worst days, we are never so bad that we have gone beyond the reach of God's grace. And yet, on the other hand, on our best days, we are never so good that we surpass God's grace. No matter whether we fall into sin and temptation, we're never 
We're never lost so far that God can't reach us. And yet, no matter how good you are and how much people look up to you, it is never done in and of your own strength. It is by God's grace that you are able to do what you do. And so, brothers and sisters, we are sitting here in this room. We are who we are, where we are, because of God's grace enabling us to be here. It is not something that we do in and of ourselves. And then if you move further to verse 11, we see that all of the gospel workers, all of the builders, build their foundation on Christ. Christ is ultimately their foundation. And that is why Paul tells builders to build carefully. It leads to our third image in verses 12 to 15, where Paul talks about a refining fire that will test the quality of our work. We can build with wood, hay, straw, and this will be burnt up. Or we can build with gold, silver, and costly stones, and this will last. The Corinthians, we are told, have been building with immaturity, foolishness, and division. And all of these things will be lost in the flames. This is the straw that will be burnt away. What materials are we building our lives on? What about our church life, our ministry, our family life, our work life? Are we building with unity or are we building with division? Are we building with humility or are we building with pride? Are we building out of love or are we building out of obligation? Are we building with joy and with peace or are we building with grumbling and complaining? Are we building with prayer and reliance on God or are we building out of our own strength? Are we building with self-control or are we building with impulsiveness? Are we building with the mind of Christ or are we building with the mind of this world? It's amazing how we have this command to build wisely, to build with good materials. And yet we have that verse at the end where it says that even builders who built foolishly with bad materials will be saved. It says that though, though they build uh, with weak materials, they will be snatched out of the flames. And it's clear here yet again that our faith is by God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. We are not saved by our own works. And so let us as a church build. Build by God's grace. Build with good quality materials that will not burn up in the fire. Build to the glory of God and not to our own glory. And that's then when Paul comes finally to his fourth image in correcting them, which is the image of the temple in verses 16 and 17. Paul reminds us that, in fact, Paul might be a, a master builder, but we actually have a master master builder who is Jesus Christ himself. 
and that God is busy building a temple out of living stones, and these living stones are us. The people of the church become the stones that are used to build the temple. The God who created each and every atom, the God who made the solar system and flung the stars into the sky, the God who wrote salvation throughout history from Genesis to Revelation, He is the one at work in your life today. He is the one at work and the person sitting next to you. And He is the one who is building a building that will last when judgment day comes. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians that it's not just about them. It's actually about God and what God is busy doing. But there's a very strong warning in verse 17 where he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. And I believe that Paul is in fact saying this quite pointedly towards the Corinthians. What he's trying to point out to them is that their behavior and their action is actually causing uh, them to destroy the temple. He says, do you not see that by dividing the church, you're destroying the temple of God? Do you not see by your ongoing immaturity, you are destroying the temple of God? Do you not see by your ongoing worldliness and sin, you are destroying the temple of God? If we are the temple of God, we the church, are His temple, then we need to be reminded that God's temple is holy and no one gets to defile God's house, not even Christians playing church on a Sunday. God is serious about His temple. He will build it and hold it and it will last through the test, but He will also deal with with anyone trying to destroy his temple. And so, first four verses, Paul confronts the Corinthians for their foolishness and immaturity. Then, he corrects their theology. And then finally, in verses 18 to 23, Paul circles back to the start of the chapter. He looks again at what is causing their immaturity, what is causing their childishness. And he gets to the root of the problem, that they are being conformed to the patterns of this world. They are chasing after worldly wisdom, Paul says. And so in verse 18, he says, you have been deceiving yourselves. So often today, we're worried about being deceived by someone else. Maybe we're deceived by a false teacher or were deceived by a false gospel. But here, Paul is warning us about our own deception, the deceitfulness of our own hearts at play. Now, brothers and sisters, our biggest problem now in what culture is having on us isn't so much that we're trying to find a favorite preacher. That's not our culture. But there are other things that might be 
sneaking its way into our hearts and making its way into our church. And so I have a couple of questions. There's a couple of isms. Is individualism starting to take a hold of your life where you are thinking about looking out for number one? Because that's worldly wisdom looking after yourself. Is materialism starting to take a grip of your heart where you're starting to envy someone else for the nice house they have, the fast car they drive, the retirement lifestyle that they're living? Because this too is worldly wisdom to chase after the securities of this world. What about, what about moralism? People are so worried about being tolerant and about being good and about looking okay. Is that how you're starting to look at the world? Just trying to be good enough? Brothers and sisters, church, Christianity is not about being good. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul is challenging the Corinthians. What? What is the world doing? How is it capturing your heart? And so that's something that we need to sit with today. What is capturing our hearts and keeping us from seeking God's wisdom? And so Paul finishes by addressing the Corinthians in their identity, the new identity that they have. If you look at verses 22 to 23, Paul says, all are yours, and you are of Christ. All things are yours, and you are of Christ. They don't have to fight about one pastor, one human leader. They have Jesus Christ. And through him, they don't have one, not two, not three human leaders, but they have all three, Paul, Apollos, and Peter, Christ has given them the whole world to live in. He's given them hope in life. He's given them security even in death. He's with them in the present, and he promised to be with them in the future. All things are theirs. They've lost perspective of things. They're fighting about things that are already theirs, things that they don't have to fight about anymore. In this chapter, Paul's making one main argument. And it is that they have become distracted by trivial things, by the things of this world. And that they have lost focus of God. And so, I'd like to finish with these words from him that I think just captures both the message and the application so well. It's from the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Towards Jesus. And it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are here with us, Lord, that if we are your followers, then we are of Christ, Lord, that we are able to live in step with your Holy Spirit, and that you help us to grow in maturity 
as we continue to follow you. We pray this morning that you help us, Lord, to let go of the things of this world, to let go of trivial matters that are important to us. Lord, instead, help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Help us to see him in his beauty and in his glory and in his grace. And Lord, we pray that as we keep our eyes on Christ, you'll make us more like him day by day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, our blessing uh, this morning comes out of Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.